From thepracticalherbalist.com, I'm Patrick, and this is Real Herbalism Radio. This show is brought to you by Occupy Medical, free integrated healthcare for all, Sundays 12 to 4 in downtown Eugene, Oregon. Mycologists walk a fine and often curving line between herbal medicine, artisan cuisine, master gardener, and scientist. While fungi infiltrate nearly every aspect of our lives, they're hard to classify and often overlooked. Today we're talking with Peter McCoy, co-founder of RadicalMycology.com and author of Radical Mycology, a treatise of seeing and working with fungi about the world of mycology. Now here are your hosts, Candace Hunter and Sue Sierra Lupe. I'm Candace Hunter. And I'm Sue Sierra Lupe. And, and welcome, welcome to Real Herbalism, Herbalism Radio. Radio. Welcome, Peter. I've been reading your book and I'm so excited to talk about it. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Yeah, you, you say reading his book. I'd say reading his textbook, tome, uh, everything you possibly would want to know about mushrooms but were afraid to ask. Yeah, I, I was actually shocked to read on your website that you're self-taught and you've only been doing this for like 15, 20 years. It sounds like you should be 85 years old and you've been doing this for at least 70 of those 85 years. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and I... Pretty much researched and wrote the book in right around two years. Um, that's where the book that came from. That's intense. It's. I mean, I found it to be amazingly in depth, but at the same time, I mean, I'm a beginner. I'm not a scientist, and I actually understood it. Mm. I mean, you know, I'm not growing mushrooms yet, right? But I'm inspired. Yeah, well, you started some SCOBY over there. And after reading this book, you're inspired to do that. So I think you're well on your way, my friend. You're an inspiring guy, Peter. Tell us us how you ended up where you are. um, Well, uh, it's been kind of a winding path. Um, Yeah, I, I... Got into mycology uh, about 15 years ago um, when I was just a teenager, mostly because my brother, what happened was my brother told me that you can grow mushrooms. He had, he had done it with some friends uh, a little bit one time and then told me about it. And I thought that was totally crazy. I'd never heard of anything like that. Um, and it just really made me want to go and do it. So did he have a mushroom kit or is he just not vacuuming his rug or something? How was he doing that? Uh you know, I think he was doing some some stuff in college with his friends, uh, messing around, and I didn't I didn't really ask him much. I actually should probably follow up with him. I never really asked him much about what he was doing when I was fifteen. He just told me that he grew mushrooms one time, and that was sort of what tipped me off. I didn't even know anything about mushrooms really. I just knew that they were. I didn't. I knew that I didn't know anything about them, and I knew that they were sort of this weird, strange, taboo thing. And I'm sort of an eclectic person. I'm just interested in sort of eclectic things generally. And, and especially like difficult things, like I'm a kind of a puzzle solver type of person. So I went to the library, uh, this is right, you know, based around the time the internet was starting and, um, went to the library, got the few books that were on mushroom cultivation, came back home, tried to mess around, tried to figure it out. The books were pretty hard to read as a teenager and had a lot of failure, basically didn't really succeed at all. Tried a bunch of times, but had nobody to go to, uh, didn't even know that mycological societies existed. And sort of that was where it laid. I mean, I tried over the years as a teenager, but just didn't really progress. But it became an interest of mine. It's something I wanted to learn more about, but didn't really have any resources for. Um, 
And then I, time went on, a few years passed, kept reading books and just stayed interested in it. And then finally, when I was about 21 at college, I met a friend who was not only the first person I ever met, actually, that was also interested in mycology, but uh, at the same time, she was also interested in the type of work that I was starting to get into more and more of, which is volunteering with different environmental and social justice types of organizations. And we just talked a lot. I had built up a lot of ideas over the years as I got more and more as what I had becoming more uh, involved in types of activism and stuff like that, how mycology could support all these different types of movements, but nobody was talking about it. And it seemed like nobody knew anything about it. And my friend was the first, this person was the first person to, to resonate with that. And so we just talked a lot. We did some projects. We met a few other people that were interested, but not in the same, not the same way that we were. And then that's where it laid. I, I moved away for a couple of years um, from that town in Washington called Olympia. And eventually wrote a zine to put all these ideas um, down on paper, called, and I called it Radical Mycology. And I really didn't think anybody would read it because I really hadn't met anybody else in all these years that was interested in these types of intersections between social movements, environmental movements, and mycology. And lo and behold, as the years progressed from there, I sold thousands of them. Uh, it turned out to be a really popular zine. I've since gotten lots of compliments about it by many people around the world and just completely unexpected. It was mostly a thing that I wrote for myself, but uh, turned a lot of people on to these ideas that had never been out there. And eventually me and my same friend um, held an event uh, in 2011 called the Radical Mycology Convergence to share these ideas. And similarly, we didn't think anybody would show up or just very few and we ended up having hundreds of people. Um, and now we're in the midst of planning the fourth Radical Mycology Convergence. Um, it's been quite successful and fun, but it's always been a volunteer-run and donation-based event. We want to keep it very open and, and grassroots. And and then a couple of years ago, um, I ran a crowdfunding campaign to turn the zine basically into a book, um, and that got funded. And then for the last two years, I've just basically dove in and learned the science much better, um, wrote this book, obviously. And that part, that learning process of just writing the book has really opened my mind up. A lot of the ideas in the book, a lot of the connections that I draw um, I really wasn't coming across anywhere. It was a lot of a lot of work to, to put together some information that was really inaccessible. Um, and then throughout that whole process for about the past five years, five, six years, I've been teaching more and more. And now I teach um, courses kind of all over North America and things like that. So it's just been sort of a snowball effect in many ways. Yeah, yeah you've got one coming up in Tennessee in June, right? The 9th through the 12th? I think uh, I saw that on your website. Bonner, Bonnaroo. Yeah, well, that I'm going to. I'm just presenting, doing a couple workshops at a music festival. Um, those are a couple of things I've scheduled right now, just some smaller events for this spring, early summer. But I am actually planning some some courses and stuff, actually a book tour for this for late summer, fall, and um, nice. some bigger courses at the end of the year. Um, they're not on the website yet. They're sort of in the planning stages, but folks can stay tuned for those. Okay. The okay. Radical Mycology event. When... That's coming up. When and, and where is it going to be? Uh, well, we actually haven't announced it yet. Um, uh, it's a secret. <laughs> yeah. But it is. It's it's definitely in the planning stages. It's going to be on the East Coast. We've done two on the West Coast, one in the Midwest, and now we're trying to get to the East Coast. And uh, we're hoping to get that dialed in. Basically, as soon as the flyer is completed, we'll, we'll be spreading the word far and wide. But um, folks okay. can stay tuned yeah. for that. So people should look at your RadicalMycology.com website for more information about those things. Yeah. And there's also a website for the Convergence. It's RadicalMycologyConvergence.com. Oh, nice. Convergence. Ooh. 
One of the things that I loved about Radical Mycology, the book, <laughs> the giant <laughs> book, was the reverence with which you treat the, the mycology, the fungi, fungi throughout. There was a quote on page 11 that I was hoping you'd be willing to read for us. It heads up the spore liberation section. Yeah, sure. The spore is everything that the fungus represents. Whole, undivided, sovereign. It is a world unto itself, a vessel of autonomy that, though seemingly just the same as countless, countless others, holds within itself the untold legacies of bygone ancestors and of fungal yet webs yet to come. The spore is the beginning and the end of fungal evolution. It is the rest between heartbeats and the network, the silence between notes that fruit bodies sing, and the moment before the soil inhales. Resilient, inspired, and ancient, spores are the still point from which storms arise to spawn whole communities and whole ecologies. She who counts the spores of the world is the one who measures the world itself. Fungi is spores, spores fungus, fungus is life, one and the same, perfect and complete. It's so beautiful. He's a poet, too. Like the fungi. So Uh, tell me how that brings you into the many layers of mycology you've delved into. Yeah, that sounds like a philosophy as well as a poem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, that's certainly how I've always sort of framed my work and sort of the whole idea behind radical mycology as sort of this... Uh, grassroots movement or idea or organization. We sort of look at it from different perspectives. I think it is core radical mycology is meant to be an idea, if nothing else, and just a whole different way of looking at fungi. Um, mycology is a science. It's it's the youngest natural science, or at least one of the, one of the youngest natural sciences. And for its very short two hundred plus hist- uh, year history, it's pretty much been locked up in academia, and especially in the West. And we never hear about fungi. Uh, we never learn about fungi from at any grade level. I've met people in all you know, from all grade levels, even people that got master's degrees in environmental studies. They literally just maybe get one day of, of fungal studies. And if you study fungal ecology, they are central to all of life. And it's pretty mind-boggling that you don't learn more. So they're just essentially completely off our radar. And that's, that's a cultural phenomenon and one that I see needing to be significantly changed, uh, hopefully very soon. And because not only are fungi important for the world and there's many implications for assisting human life, but they are so incredible. Um, you know, so much of my work is just trying to destigmatize these really unnatural and unnecessary taboos that we have around fungi and just sort of, we, we don't, uh, it's sort of assumed that they're just bad and weird and strange and nobody, because nobody knows how to think about them, they don't know what they're missing out on. So what this book is really trying to do is present all these different wonderful aspects of fungi, all these interesting things about them, but then even deeper than that, sort of uh, not being afraid to show that you can actually have a deep sense of respect and awe and um, you know humility in front of the fungi because they are the most ancient multicellular organisms on the planet. They, they basically, in many ways, sort of control the planet, run whole ecosystems. We are so dependent on fungi. It's incredible. And uh, that owes itself so much respect. And But also, what I say a lot is that there's a lot to learn from fungi. Just like I think people learn things from plants and from animals and things have different relationships. So too with the fungi, they have their own unique um, lessons. They embody so many principles of nature that it's, it's pretty incredible once you really understand them. So with all this, um, 
I think that, that that's why this this sort of quote or the the quote I read is on page eleven. You know, right from the beginning of the book, I want people to understand that this is not a, necessarily a normal book on, on fungi. We're not just really looking at mushroom hunting, which is what most of the books are on. We're talking about a deep a deep relationship that can be formed a whole whole different way of coexisting and forming new human fungal relations. Yeah, it definitely comes across, and I love that it. Your philosophy gives many entry points. For instance, I do a lot of beer fermenting and I and you know making wine. I never thought of that as being cultivating fungi, but really yeasts are a part of that kingdom, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeasts so, are, are fungi. Yeah, so it turns out my son who did fermentation science this year was actually studying mycology. He just didn't know it. <laughs> but it's everything it's from you know we street we're trying making kombucha i tried a sourdough starter i failed but i'm gonna try again there you, you go. know i mean there's so many entry points that we don't think of because most often people think fungi it's either the fungus between your toes you want to get rid of or it's mushrooms mm-hmm. and you either like them or you hate them or maybe you fear them yeah i think a lot of people associate mushrooms with death Yes. I know that the native people in the Willamette Valley, the Kalapuya, they did not, to, at least from the Kalapuya uh, person that I spoke to, she was part Kalapuya, part Coos, and she said, my people, to my knowledge, did not eat or harvest mushrooms. They were associated with death and and they were considered sacred and not something to be in, eaten, mm-hmm. which is an interesting, that, that's not, not the way... Uh, other cultures view it in the U- Ukrainian region. They they harvest a lot of mushrooms. Yeah, you know yeah. And the the view that Americans have of death is really something to be f- feared, something to be sterilized, something to keep away. And it seems like as we're changing our view of death and passing, um, getting more information on that. Uh, I noticed more information about mushrooms and that reference, Peter, that you spoke about is resurfacing. You are definitely one of the messiahs, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there are other voices that are lending theirs to yours. How is that? Have you noticed that yourself? Uh, resurgence in mycology or new? Yeah, mus- just the attitude towards mushrooms. Yeah, almost certainly. Um, I mean, from where it was, where I felt the culture was at and the understanding and awareness 15 years ago to today, it's, you know, it's vastly different. Um, and really just in the last, you know, five, 10 years, it's just been an exponential increase. Um, you know, I feel like in, in some degrees, maybe I'm, you know, a bit of an early adopter of these ideas. This, the science, it's really, as I said, been been so inaccessible for pretty much all of the 20th century when it was really being developed it was really hard to, to get anything to, to study it in, in university, to get any books on even just basic mushroom growing. Um, and it was really with the internet that made uh, that knowledge explode. There are forums dedicated to teaching others mushroom cultivation, which was again, really hard to, to learn. So it's, it's the, the internet age, the information age that's really altered the face of mycology. And I'm, you know, the generation that basically grew up with it, the first one to grow up with it. So I think that's why I've fallen into the place I'm in. Um, and certainly, and then along with it, I've seen, I've seen a whole sea change in people's awareness. I think again, though, just, you know, this is something I say all the time and I've kind of already said it once is just that 
what's great is that people are aware now. And now what I'm really trying to do is say, we need to raise the bar just a little bit more and not just be interested in fungi, but actually now we need to learn them. We need to become more microcultural. We need to integrate them into our daily awareness and just our ecological studies and just kind of basic things, especially when you talk about environmental stuff. But even then, when we get to the future implications of cultivation and all this possibility that the fungi seem to offer for food, for health, for the environment, um, it's really exciting. But we can only get there once people, you know, have a common language to, to discussing these things. Yeah, it's definitely exciting. Um, one of the things that I was thinking about as I was reading part of the early part of the book was the mycological web in the soil that. You know, we've been told you're supposed to constantly till your soil every year, which I'm and now I'm questioning that. And then the like seed starting every year, you're supposed to buy the sterile potting soil from the hardware store. And I'm also <laughs> thinking, well, maybe that's not so smart. Um, right. Well, there's, I mean, it's, it, this gets into this awareness of, of fungal ecologies, uh, ecological roles that fungi fill and you know, two primary ones for any plant grower to be aware of is that there are soil fungi that connect plant roots um, together. They can actually connect species together and share nutrients between them. But also these fungi, known as mycorrhizal fungi, um, make nutrients more accessible. They reduce the need for fertilizers or input, and they increase plant health basically by doing a lot of root support um, for the plant. And by over-fertilizing, over-tilling the soils, we can disrupt these these relationships that pretty much all, almost all plants in the world form and many of which highly depend on. And then at the same time, there's also fungi that live inside of plants throughout their entirety of uh, tissue, throughout their entire tissue, basically forming a skeletal backbone, if you will, of mycelium, fungal tissue. These are endophytes. And um, the communities of endophytes in a given plant can be very unique. They actually will, will vary from plant to plant. And one of the things I propose in the book is that the different assemblages of endophytic fungi and mycorrhizal fungi very likely influence the medicinal quality of plants. And that's probably why wild harvested plants are often more potent, not only because of the stress they get, but also because the probably higher diversity of, of endophytes. When you have monocultures and, and plants grown far from this great fungal diversity that's natural in their uh, home habitat, you don't get that. And so it's sort of these hidden causes in alterations of our food quality or medicine quality that you know, people don't uh, think of because they don't, they don't understand these, these points. Yeah. That, that, there's a lot of uh, resurgence in people understanding relationships between different plants and different species and, and different organisms in general. And it, it seems like right now there's a big renaissance in how to understand not only human relationships, but the complexity of how our our life on earth integrates with each other and and what better symbol of that than the mushroom since it seems to be such a master communicator right i, I think of them people talk about so the mycelium i talked about uh the mycorrhizae that connect plant roots there's this idea of that being the wood wide web sort of nature's internet yeah. nature's plane and that's very you know there's a lot of there's a lot of truth in that, and, but I also take it further, and I think that the, those networks are also like the circulatory system of the, the, the forests and all the ecologies. They literally move nutrients around, and they expel toxins. They're kind of like the lymph system, and they're also like the connective tissue that holds the soil together and actually builds the framework for all life to sort of grow out of. Um, some of these fungi are considered the most 
the soil fungi, some of which um, do not even form mushrooms, we never really see them, they're actually considered the most ecologically important because of all these roles they have on soil health and thereafter plant and animal health. Can you give um, an example of that? Well, it's, it's a whole group called the, the Glomeromycota. It's a phylum of the fungal kingdom, and they're also known as arbuscular mycorrhizae or endomycorrhizae. And they form these microbiosal relationships where they wrap onto plant roots, penetrate into the root um, structure, and then they'll actually penetrate through the plant cell wall, the root cell wall. And they form these little structures through which they exchange nutrients with the plant. And so it's a two-way exchange. The plant gives sugars and the fungus draws in nutrients, actually does some chemistry for the plant that the plant can't do to, to transform nutrients to make them accessible and brings in water. And then also connects plants together and shares nutrients between them in this very coordinated, um, incredible way. It'll, they'll channel nutrients from the parent trees that are getting the sun down to the baby trees that are being shaded out in the understory. That's how um, smaller plants stay alive. They get the nutrients from these larger plants. They'll signal downstream or throughout plant, to other plants in the network that, say, plants on one edge of the forest are being attacked by bugs or something. Plants on the other side will start to produce the defense hormones and things far in advance of the bugs being there because the the fungus is relaying some sort of information. So it's, it's really this communication network throughout the forest. But again, we, we never see them. There's only about 160 of these, 170 of these species in the glomeromycota, but they're found throughout the world. Um, and they associate with 90, 90 to 95% of all plants. So one common mycelial network, as we call it, can literally be connecting dozens perhaps hundreds of species of plants together in one distributed, highly connected network um, doing all, ki- all kinds of uh, communication and nutrient exchange roles that we barely even understand. Now, a word from our sponsors. Occupy Medical is a free street reach integrated health clinic that demonstrates by example that healthcare really is a human right. We're an all-volunteer clinic of doctors, nurses, herbalists, and others working together to heal the community. What kind of donations are you guys looking for? We need vitamins, herbs, socks, toothbrushes, and, of course, good old-fashioned money. You can find a complete list of our needs and contact information at occupy-medical.org. Occupy Medical is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Welcome back. We were just talking about the way that mycelial networks communicate amongst the trees and through the forest to help trees and plants on in any area build up the immunity or the defenses they need to fight common enemies. One of the things that I was thinking about as you were talking about that was the fact that um, fungi can be partners in helping bees do some of the same. Like that colony collapse, was that called? Colony, oh, collapse, colony disorder? collapse disorder? That was something that you wrote about, wasn't it, Peter? Uh, yeah. Um, just building up the work of, of others a bit, there's yeah. insects in general um, form intimate relationships with fungi. I mean, this is, this is sort of this, uh, one of the huge underlying themes of the whole book is that pretty much all of life forms intimate symbiotic relationships with fungi. Um, some of those relationships we, we know a lot about, like the mycorrhizal ones I was talking about, that's been pretty heavily studied. Many of the other ones we've barely even looked at, and they've often been almost intentionally ignored, uh, such as the ones with insects. So many insects have symbiotic fungi that live inside their gut that produce all kinds of benefits for the insect. Then they'll even have really interesting um, environmental affiliations and things like that. 
as far as the bees go, um, there's a stingless bee in Brazil that actually cultivates a type of mold in its hive to keep, well, to feed its, its larvae at the very minimum, but potentially providing medicinal benefit to those, to those larvae. It's not positive uh, that it's performing that function, but it's quite, quite plausible. And then similarly, there's been some work in just the last year or two showing that uh, woodland mushrooms, uh, many of the hard conks and things that we commonly see on trees, they're actually eaten by, their mycelium is sort of eaten by bees and other, likely many other insects as a form of nutrition and also uh, immune system support. And so now there's current research going into the idea that uh, by feeding bees uh, medicinal fungal extracts, we can support their health and have potentially help fight off um, colony collapse disorder. I think that comes, what I say in the book, though, is that what's great about our understanding of the, the cultivation of fungi and producing these medicines is at their core, they're relatively simple processes um, to make these extracts. And so anybody can actually make these, these compounds and make these medicines and feed them to their bees um, and support, support their whole habitat. And I think as time progresses, we'll find even more intimate relationships like these um, throughout the world. Yeah. So, um, you know, I actually got in one of the things about getting into mycology as part of my history I didn't mention is when I was going to college early on, uh, I was actually very much interested in herbalism and, and thought that I was going to pursue that pretty heavily with plant wise. And, but, but at the same time, many of my friends were herbalists and I thought, well, you know, if anything ever happens and we all end up living together or something like that in some distant future, there's going to be 20 herbalists and nobody's going to know much about fungi. So I should take that on as sort of my contribution to my community. Um, so, but as it turns out, many of the same processes for making plant medicines, we can apply to fungi. And then there's even other types of extracts and other products you can, you can make. Um, I describe a lot in the book and what I was pretty happy about, I actually spent a long time on the chapter because there's the products we get in North America that are medicinal mushroom, medicinal fungal extracts, are generally sort of the, the most basic and almost the least potent you can buy in some respects, some of them. And there's many others, many other types of products and processes that are done in, in China um, and Japan where their knowledge is in, in cultural relationships with fungi is so much more advanced. And those processes, those products are not as commonly available or promoted in North America. So I spent a lot of time translating those industrial processes to home scalable ones to make even better um, products. So that was a huge research part of the book, a uh, pretty fun part of the book. And I'm pretty, pretty happy to be able to share that with, with folks. And it's, it's a bit, a little bit technical, a little bit, you know, too much terminology to get into. But what I can say is that instead of, uh, these products, these, these things are relatively simple and cheap to make, but they make a much more concentrated, much more potent extract in the end. All right. Well, how do you see the future of, of mycology moving into then the future? Uh, well, I mean, for me, it's, uh, I think the first step is education, lowering that, that access bar, which is you know, what I've talked about for, for many years in this book. It's kind of why I dropped off the, the radar for the last two years to write this book, because I knew it was very important to, to have this type of information available to, to create those conversations. Once hopefully this book and, and the ideas in it ripple out, um, the, there'll be a greater sense of awareness as I've been sort of discussing. And that's definitely step one. We can't really go further without people really knowing, knowing these things. Um, after that, I think the sky is really the limit in many ways. I think my friend said it the best that 
when if we want to talk about the future of fungi, we need to realize that we're at the beginning of of working with fungi. It's, we're really at this incredibly unique era where where humans have been cultivating plants in a, in a concentrated or a sort of settled way for ten to twelve thousand years. Uh, our home scalable backyard, easy to do type of cultivation practices are roughly only ten. 15 years old, um, especially the way that I present them in the book that I think are some of the most accessible practices that have been developed yet. So we're really at this incredibly young state of even being able to cultivate fungi readily, especially mushrooms. Um, so from there, uh, who knows? I mean, there's, there's interesting products that are being made from fungal mycelium. So this is the, the root system sort of of the, of the fungus of the mushroom. And rather than focusing on just the food, the medicine of the, the, the mushroom, the mycelium has a lot of interesting properties. So you can build things out of mycelium. You can grow it into a shape. It's kind of like a glacier in many ways. It will take on whatever form it grows into and be and form sort of this artificial or sort of natural uh, styrofoam. And but that can be a building material. It's highly impact resistant, highly flame, flame resistant, uh, um, buoyant. It has many interesting material properties so it's sort of the plastic of the future many people many people think about it that way it could actually, like shape your chair kitchen chairs out of mycelium yeah i've seen people sell coffins that are mushroom coffins they're basically like clothes made of mushrooms with spores in them and then when you pass you turn into some mushroomy thing which is interesting like, is, that, well, is that like the kind of thing you're talking about? You're talking about like build actually building blocks made of mycelium. Yeah, yeah, you can build. I mean, the the, the concept is certainly being pioneered, and uh, there's actually a company in New York called Ecovative. They're, they're building actually building materials. They're essentially trying to replace particle board um, with same specs, same size and dimensions, and and, and uh, you know industriousness. Um, it meets the codes and all these things, but it's made out of wood particles and fungal mycelium instead of these nasty toxic glues and actually trying to get them into like Home Depot and stuff. Well, and it's a lot more <laughs> renewable. I mean, wood takes so long for a tree to grow to a size that it's harvestable and usable for lumber. I mean, even, you know, stud lumber, whereas the mycelial network will grow really fast. The only challenge I see is in what happens if it gets damp. Put a resin over it and protect it from yeah. being uprooted, yeah. but... There's, so that's that's a huge potential, just the building materials. Anybody can really – it's really easy to grow mycelium. What I always tell people is it's really easy to grow mycelium. It's actually harder to fruit the mushroom from the mycelium. But growing mycelium, you can do quite cheaply, quite easily. And the mycelium itself is medicinal. It's actually edible. There's a lot you can do with just mycelium. Um, so I think that, raising that awareness, you know, is just a starting point as well, that we don't need to have incredibly expensive mushrooms to make – my, fungal mycelium uh, more of a product and recognized as a valuable food additive, uh, just like tempeh. I mean, tempeh is mycelium-covered grains, but it's a mold, not a mushroom mycelium. And so... Um, and white stuff that you see on tempeh, right? Yeah, that's a mold. Mm-hmm. So basically, we can do the same thing with um, with mushrooms. I mean, we can have different food products. That's a, that's a pretty simple leap once people are comfortable with that. Um, but then... You know, recently there was a study where they showed that you could take fungal mycelium, uh, burn it in a certain way, and basically use it as the anodes in a ba- battery and replace some of the toxic components of lithium-ion batteries and actually work over time to have a greater capacity in the battery instead of a lower capacity, like 
contemporary batteries. So that's a pretty. So you're talking about. I could have a mushroom a car. Mushroom. They could make the mycelium body. Could be a mushroom powered engine. That'd be so awesome. This is a mushroom based battery. Mushroom based battery. That's what you're telling us. It's a, yeah. Components of these batteries could be made out of fungal fungal tissue, and I think that these. That, I mean, when that study came out, that was about a year ago, maybe. I mean, that was a huge leap. You know, was, that was kind of out of nowhere that somebody came up with that. And I think that that's a great example of we have no idea where our understanding of just fungal biology um, is, is leading towards these applications, these higher level sort of um, engineering uh, aspects. There's a, you know, there's a pretty good video um, on the internet called Fungus, the Plastic of the Future, where they talk about how in 100 years, our world is going to look dramatically different, I think, and I really agree with that. I think that that in probably less than 100 years, so many products that we make out of wood or compressed wood or plastics will be fungally based, and our culture and our concepts about what products should be and all these things will be so different, and obviously the sustainability and the pollution levels will go down significantly as well. I mean, that's, that's a huge hope. Um, and then on top of that, I mean, fungi do have the potential to clean up pollution in the environment. They are nature's recyclers. And people are really excited about that concept. It's called micro-remediation. And a big part of my book is trying to just unpack that, that science. It's a little bit more technical. But I think once people really understand that better than most people seem to you know, kind of know about it today, then that, that skill as well can also be expanded upon and we can hopefully reduce a lot of the pollution in our environment uh, quite significantly um, through relatively simple, relatively inexpensive techniques. And I think that's just, I mean, like I said, there's the book sort of explores here and there are some different intersections. I mean, another one I talk about is cultivating mushrooms and orchids together. I think that that's a, a natural symbiosis because they have the same requirements and also something that I see as sort of a beautiful unity, uh, tripartite unity between the highest evolved organisms of the fungal kingdom, the kingdom and the animal kingdom. Um, and I think that would be like a sort of a symbol of where our, our world is heading in, in my hope. Um, as we develop these relationships stronger. Well, thank you, Peter, for for speaking with us. It's very interesting. I want to remind our listeners to go to Peter's website, the radicalmycology.com, and you can find a link to his book there. You could also go to, okay, now, Peter, pronounce the name of your press for me again. Uh, it's Cathayus Press. Cathayus Press, C-H-T-H-A-E-U-S. And we'll have these links on our show notes of realherbalismradio.com. We also have little links to some of the things that we've uh, discussed today on the show notes. And if you go to the practicalherbalist.com, you'll see a book review of the book Radical Mycology by Peter McCoy. And you can also uh, check out my uh, Practical Herbalist on Facebook and on Twitter and on Pinterest and join us in future conversations. Thank you, for Peter, for being with us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was great. This show is brought to you by Occupy Medical, free integrated healthcare for all, Sundays 12 to 4 in downtown Eugene, Oregon. Visit their site at occupy-medical.org.